Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello everyone, my name is Susie Leach, and today it is my absolute pleasure to be having a conversation with mental health and child advocate Ruth Clare. Before I begin, I'd just like to acknowledge the invaluable technical support of Evan, Kaylin and the 3CR team, because frankly, I wouldn't be here without them. Ruth Clare is the award-winning author of the book Enemy, which is her memoir on how the Vietnam War left lasting impacts on a whole family. It's an inspirational story about overcoming childhood adversity and PTSD. I found it really engaging, a riveting read deserving of the high accolades it received. Just a little bit about Ruth. Um, Following tertiary studies in science and journalism, in a strange way, she followed her dream of becoming an actor. Some of you may recognise her from her work in television. Ruth, a daughter and a sister, is now a wife, mother, inspirational and keynote speaker, author and content creator in the mental health space. I really do encourage our listeners to check out both her book, Enemy, and Ruth's highly popular TEDx talks on YouTube. I think we can all benefit from what Ruth has to say about overcoming adversity and her resilience. Anyway, without further ado, hello, Ruth Clare, and welcome to Brainwaves. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. Listen, Ruth, can you tell us a little bit about the difficulties you experienced in childhood? I understand that you were loved by your parents, but you rarely felt it and particularly with your father. Yeah, so I grew up in a home that from the outside looked pretty normal, but as is often the case inside the four walls of our house, it was a pretty different story. My dad was very controlling and he could be violent. Mostly his violence was directed at my brother and sister and myself, um, And he was, one of the things that was difficult with dad is that you never knew what was going to be the thing that set him off and his behavior wasn't consistent. So, you know, one day you could be skipping through the house and that would be completely fine. And then the next day you would skip through the house and he would just beat the crap out of you and lecture you like 
that's something that you should have known was a terrible thing to do and never to do it again. And so because he had so many inconsistencies, what that meant was that I couldn't figure out what the rules were. So all I did was watch him. I spent my whole childhood just always second-guessing what I was doing, looking to him to see whether or not it was his, you know, knuckles got tighter or his eyes started narrowing, all of the cues that would say, okay, stop what you're doing and do something else, uh, which left me feeling pretty on edge. And I became quite a perfectionist in response to that. I was really good at school, so that worked out well at school. Uh, But it left me feeling like I wasn't safe in my body a lot of the time. And after he left, I, I had this grand idea that life was going to all be magically better. But about a week after he had left to go and live with another woman and her children, I came home and found mum crying on the couch with a cask of wine beside her. And it was a real shock because mum had never really been much of a drinker. And so I was only 11 at the time. So I just patted her head and crossed my fingers and hoped it would get better. But then that day rolled into the next day and then the next day and the next day. And pretty soon that became years and it became hard to really even remember my mum before she'd started drinking. Yeah, that's extremely sad. So um, I guess your father's made you feel hypervigilant and um, frightened a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, and not knowing what to expect. It's the, yeah, as you said, the inconsistency would be terrifying, really. Yeah. And it also made me really angry. Yes. Uh, I didn't realize how angry I was, really, until I had a girl start to try and bully me at school. And I'd always tried to just fly under the radar and be good and. I'd never tried to put myself out there so that bullies would attack me. And she started to sort of shove me and I was like, okay. And I just, this feeling in my body was like, I will, okay, you want to have a go at me? That's fine. I've got a lot in here. I will fight you. I didn't realize quite how angry I was. That was the moment I was going, oh, yeah, got quite the temper. So she didn't keep picking on me very much after that because I didn't, we didn't get into a physical altercation, but I really let her have it um, and told her I wasn't going to be pushed around. So there was that as well. Yeah, So and clearly that could either be projection or it could have been to do with the fact that you've seen, witnessed that and lived that experience in your own house. And for me, I think it's actually the physiological response that happens, that that fight-flight-freeze response in your body before I even knew what was happening it's like my heart's pounding and it, you, you kind of you know you've you've lost connection to your conscious thought at those moments and your yeah. body is just riding the show and words would be flying out of my mouth I'd be like oh I didn't know I was going to say that but yeah. my it was just my body was like don't come near me yeah instinct instinct mm. yeah um Ruth just briefly because I hope we get an opportunity to go to this into this in more detail in another show but what symptoms did your father display that later led you to understand that he had post-traumatic stress disorder PTSD as a result of his unwanted conscription into the Vietnam War 
when I was growing up, I didn't know anything about PTSD. Our family was not a mental health family. It was a suck it up and pretend things weren't happening kind of family. And it was really only when I started to, um, I became pregnant and I started to really wonder what must have happened to dad that he could treat his kids that way. It really started to play in my mind. And I knew he'd been to the Vietnam War, but I didn't really understand what that meant because in the 80s when I was growing up, we didn't learn about the Vietnam War. It wasn't discussed very much. And so I started to do some research into what happened in the Vietnam War and as part of that, inevitably, you came across post-traumatic stress disorder. I'd done a lot of my own therapy and so I was interested in that world anyway. But with PTSD, there's an exaggerated startle response, so small things can set you off. And Dad used to have nightmares and we were we always knew in our house the rule was do not approach dad when he is sleeping because he might accidentally attack you that was yes. the one of the main things he did that turning on a dime over tiny little things the way that he reacted to us in retrospect as a child you you inevitably make everything about you and think what did yeah. i do wrong that made that happen but yes. Really, I imagine what was happening for him was that he was being triggered by the loud noise or the running or the whatever. That's right. yeah. And he, we just happened to be in his firing line. Yeah, it's really sad, isn't it, that um, in particular Vietnam vets uh, didn't get to discuss or seek help or be acknowledged for what they did and the repercussions seemed to pass on between generations as mm. a result of this. Um, looking in your book, the beautiful photos you've put in the back of it, your dad and mum were just like, to me, children when, before he went to war. Um, mm. So very young. It's um, a terrible situation really, isn't it? And mm. obviously having repercussions to this day. Um, you said briefly about your mum turning to alcohol in a big way. Um, did it impact your mother in other ways? And But more than that, your siblings and especially you, and what can you tell us about adverse childhood experience studies? So one of the things that I think is interesting about generational trauma is how it's it's not acknowledged in society as much as it should be um, and people don't understand the long-term impacts of early childhood trauma. Um, there's a study that's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study and there's certain things that they name on there as having uh, been studied enough that they are proven to have long-term negative health consequences on people who've experienced them as children. And there's things like if you're parents are divorced, if you've experienced physical or psychological neglect, or if you've witnessed domestic violence, or one of your parents has an addiction, or they have mental health problems, that's the sort of broad scope of the things they define as an adverse childhood experience. And 
if you have four or more adverse childhood experiences, the health consequences are so great that it can reduce your life expectancy by 20 years. Wow. Which is a really significant amount. And I experienced eight of the possible adverse childhood experiences. And the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the greater the potential risk to your health. Uh, It's got all manner of things related to, you know, heart disease and cancer and really increased rates of of health. And I, it's not, you know, 100% defined as none of these things are, but I really think it is that physiological fight, flight, freeze response that is constantly releasing hormones in your body. It is not a state you're meant to live in all of the time. And when all of those systems are like, you know, your blood sugar is being released into your system, your your heart rate's increased, your breathing's shallow, all of that stuff is meant to be a temporary state. And if you're living in a, a, an environment where you're exposed to prolonged stress, it's like that that system is like, well, there is never a time when I'm safe, so I'm never not going to be on, so I'm just going to constantly be pumping all of this stuff into your body all of the time. And it's something that you can unlearn, but it is something that you need to be not in an unsafe environment. You need to you need to basically be out of that situation to be able to start undoing the impacts because if you're not safe, your body's going to constantly be releasing that stuff to try and protect you. Yes, and obviously you're you're you you're you've been educated and you've educated yourself on your experience and your all the work that you're doing to help yourself and help others will absolutely diminish those negative outcomes for you and that's why it's important to get this story out there for other people too. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the other things is one of the reasons that I wrote Enemy is because I didn't read stories like mine being told. And there's very few books written by children from a child perspective growing up in a home with family violence. And a lot of the way that it's portrayed in the media is that domestic violence is something that happens between adults. And so it's a man and a woman and there's a coercive control situation but there's a lot of nuance in domestic violence and a lot of children are direct victims of domestic violence. And one child per fortnight is killed by a parent in a domestic violence situation. And that's not a statistic that we know. That's in Australia. Just in That's Australia. in Australia. Yeah. And also because children are more vulnerable from a biological and um, a social perspective, if they are... Um, if they do receive violence, they're much more likely to get a brain injury. Like there's a lot of things that aren't discussed. And so I just, one of the reasons I wrote anyway was because I, I wanted it to be a story that people should be okay about discussing. If that's an experience that they have had, that they shouldn't feel the way that I felt, which was that it was something I was meant to keep quiet. So it meant I didn't reach out for help. I didn't tell people what was going on when I was growing up. I didn't want people to judge me. I didn't want people to look down on me and I didn't trust adults. So I didn't want adults coming in and telling me what to do either. Mm. So it was part of my hope is that people could reach out for help because I think we all need 
help and support and we no one has to be doing it all by themselves. That's right. And what interested me as well is that you said that your father didn't remember um, a lot of what he'd put you through, um, whether that was just being in denial, but um, you're in a position where you had witnesses to the experience that you and your siblings and your mum had. Yeah, that was one of the things that was the most difficult to reconcile for me is that like I feel like I'm a pretty open-hearted person and but dad never acknowledged what he'd done and he never said sorry and so it felt to me like he, he died when he was only 52 he died of um they th- cancer that they thought was related to his exposure to agent orange and I went up there and I didn't want to cause because I'm the one in my family that causes trouble because I'm honest <laughs> uh but I didn't bring anything up with him because I didn't want it to be a, it's, it was already really stressful for my siblings. So I didn't want to be the troublemaker causing trouble again. Yeah. But I really wish that he had have been able to say to me, I'm sorry that that happened. I'm sorry I did that. And one of the things, what you're saying that is really interesting to me is that I, somebody left a review of my book just a couple of months ago, um, another child of a Vietnam veteran who was an only child and grew up in a very similar circumstance to me. And in her review, she said that it felt like she finally had a witness to what happened because she felt crazy. And then he said that he didn't remember either. So that whether or not that's a dissociation from that experience, whether or not that is a, you know, a part of that, if that is denial, if that is a, you know, tendency of narcissism like there's a lot of different strings that you could analyze why that might be the case but it was really good to know that I had been able to sort of be a sister in arms with her and say no you're not making it up it did happen and my my siblings saying backing me up and we all have a very similar recollection of our childhood made me not feel crazy because when somebody is denying that they've done something, you're like, how can you possibly deny that this has happened? Yes. Yeah. And also you said that you'd had a very regimented childhood, which you later came to realise was connected with the regimentation your father experienced in in the army. Yeah, there was a really interesting um, video that I watched that was uh, something that was given to Vietnam veterans by uh, somebody called Nick Fothergill and it's called You're Not in the Forces Now and I think you can have a look at it online. But what he talked about was part of the brainwashing that happens during military training, which is to strip you of your identity, to make all of your behaviours instinctive and automatic and to actually rewire your fight or flight response because the only thing you're allowed to do when you're in an army, you're not allowed to flight. There yes. is no flight. There's yes. only fight. Yes. So it talks about you have to do things in a certain way. Don't think automatic, automatic. Yeah. And so dad would have this thing where his, what he used to say was that it, it's drop tools and run. If he called to us, we had to drop tools and run. And we had to say coming. It was like you had, a, you know, three seconds that yes. you could run toward him and be basically standing in front of him. And, you know, he would, if we, we had this big tent we had to set up and it was an old army tent and 
that was one of those things you're meant to just do it like a military operation, have the things at 45 degree angles to yeah. do this, to blah, 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 blah. And yeah. we always didn't do it right because we yeah. were stumbling around children. I mean, I've now got children. You go camping. It's like, wow, I would not. I'm like, get out of here. Go away from me. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone to set up the tent. Yeah. Whereas he was like, everyone puts in the work and we all do it and you're all yeah. doing it wrong and we'll just, you know, beat yeah. the crap out of you because you're all drop the pegs and, oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear that your mum also looked passed away young too as a direct result of the effects that changed your dad's life, of the Vietnam War, yeah. um, and her problem with alcohol use disorder. Very, very sad. Yeah. Um, Ruth, what PST, PTSD symptoms did you develop? Like you said, you were hypervigilant and... Um, did you feel rejected or were you having nightmares or anything like that? Um, well, what is really interesting, um, I don't know, do you know much about complex PTSD? Um, not too much, no. I, I read a really interesting book recently um, by an author called, I think it's Stephanie Wu, called What My Bones Know. Yes. And it's her talking about growing up in a home with two parents who were had a lot of mental health issues and, and, you know, she was on the receiving end of violence as well. And she unpacks the way that it manifests in her life. And I think childhood trauma and the complex PTSD, you don't get, say, a nightmare or a flashback in the same way that you, you she described, it was, I found it really comforting to read her book because I was like, I've always gone, People have said, you've got complex PTSD. I'm like, I don't know what they, I don't really have those dreams. I always imagined it was a dream state. You would sort of go, oh, and now suddenly I'm overwhelmed with yeah. an image in front of my head. It plays out like a movie. Whereas often what that experience is for me is that a really small thing will trigger a really massive emotional memory response in my yes. body. And I'm acting way out of proportion to what is happening and there's a it's i've i've also recently been diagnosed with adhd and so there's a lot of overlaps between complex ptsd and adhd and so i have this ongoing narrative that everyone hates me that that's like a, a really it's really hard to shake that that it's like everybody hates me is a really difficult yeah. narrative to and so you're constantly looking for evidence that rejection in 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 um, ADHD, it's called rejection sensitivity. So you you so imagine that people are going to hate you that you don't put anything out there or take any risks or you just hide yourself away because yeah. the, the fear of that rejection is so extreme. And I do have a lot of emotional ups and downs mm. uh, and that exaggerated startle, you know, I have that is definitely an aspect and and being hypervigilant but i'm getting much better at all of that stuff yeah so that's part of the the things that i now sort of try to help other people with and to bring them back into the present moment that is the thing that has been one of the most helpful things for me is instead of getting lost in my thoughts is to just keep dropping those thoughts come back into my body and reminding myself that in this moment I am safe and yes. to breathe and to take some conscious control over 
not not letting myself get so carried away by all of the thinking that's going on in my head and to just keep coming back into my body. Yeah. Um, we only have about five minutes left and it's such a, a huge topic, but I guess we'll just, I, I want to ask you in particular, you've clearly um, done a lot of um, research into your experience you've healed although from what you're saying it's up and down life isn't always in a straight trajectory is it Mm. and you've survived and you're clearly looking at all your achievements you're you're thriving um but can you tell us the strategies that you found apart from as you've said grounding being in the present moment other strategies that you found helpful Ruth One of the other things that has been really helpful for me is to separate out the idea of an event that happens to you and the story that you tell yourself about what that event means. So for me, that comes down to focusing on which part of that you can control. You can't always control the events that happen in your life but you do have control over the stories you're telling yourself about that event and the meaning that you decide to make about that event and how much you allow that to define your life moving forward. So for me, it used to be that my dad hitting me meant that I was unlovable and my mum drinking meant that I wasn't worth getting sober for. So I had made I'd made those things really personal to me. I'd made his behavior a reflection of my self-worth and I'd made her behavior a reflection of my self-worth as well. And from that perspective, I was worth nothing. When I started to realize that those were stories I was just really making up about the situation and I gained some perspective And the perspective I gained was that even though it felt incredibly personal, their behaviour really wasn't about me most of the time. As children, you tend to think the whole world is about you. Yes. That's just the way that you develop as a child. But understanding that my parents were not ideal, that behaviour was not acceptable, but they weren't deliberately trying to screw me over for life. They were just messed up people that should have got some support for their mental health issues and they really should have read a parenting book at yes. this stage. Yes, <laughs> I've got quite a few of those. Not that it always <laughs> helps, but, um, yeah, we do our best as parents. Um, I guess what didn't help you as well was the fact that you were good at keeping up appearances at school and your dad was very personable when he was out and your mum didn't drink to start with. Um, and then to uh, I was really surprised to find out that you had to put yourself through year 12. That's that's one all by yourself because your mum had left home for rehabilitation and you managed to, um, that's that's a remarkable achievement. It really is. Yeah, I, I spent that whole year really scared that I was going to be found out, but mum had, had left to go, um, she moved to Brisbane. I was living in Rockhampton at the time and, yeah, I decided I wasn't going with her because at that time I'd, I'd become like her, you know, cheerleader and support team and I was about to enter year 12 and I thought if I go down there and you're in rehab, 
And I'm kind of crammed in the lounge room floor with my brother trying to do year 12 with a new school and a new curriculum. I just felt like the whole thing was going to blow up. So I said I wasn't going with her and nobody that whole year, nobody found out. I, a few of my friends knew that my, 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 you know, like my closest friends knew that I didn't have any parents living with me, but I, I got Ostudy at the time. I don't know if that's still a thing, but I had Ostudy and I was working part-time and I just lived off toast Wow! <laughs> and came back home at like, you know, you could get yeah. a lunch pass out. So I'd go home and do the washing and then come home and, you know, it was in a lot of ways, it was less stressful than having mum there because it was so depressing having mum there. And it was another thing that I was trying to manage and be in control of and try and help. Yeah. So, um, look, Ruth, um, I guess I brought that up very briefly just to show how you did keep up appearances and you never got the support you needed and nor did your family. Um, because if you'd had that support, people would have been telling you it's not your fault. So it's taken you all this time to realise that it wasn't your fault, um, that it was not you that was the problem. Um, look, Ruth, um, I'm sorry to say that we have to wind up, but how can people make contact with you on social media and elsewhere? And in particular, I know that you speak at organisations, schools, that sort of thing. Um, how do they make contact? with you so the best place is i'm i've got a website it's ruthclare.com um c-l-a-r-e Ruth Claire, and they can see me on social media at Ruth Claire author i'm mostly on instagram and facebook a bit slacker miss messages and whatever but they can see me on there and i've got a whole lot of on my website i've got a whole lot of mental health resources and and things for people to do like a free audio training and a lot of information, just trying to share the things that have been helpful for me there. Um, that's wonderful. And it really has been good to chat with you, Ruth. Um, your clear resilience in the face of such adversity, it really is inspirational. And I love inspirational stories. Uh, the work you're doing to inform and support other people who've uh, lived similar experiences and how to overcome and thrive. It's invaluable. Um, thank you ever so much for sharing your, some of your story. There's a lot more to tell. And we hope to hear more from you in 2024. But in the meantime, all of us here at Brainwaves wish you continued success in all of your endeavours. Thank you ever so much. Thanks so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another marvellous interview with Susie Leach and her guest today, Ruth Clare, on Brainwaves. Join us next week for another episode at 5.30 Wednesday on 3CR 855am on your dial or digitally and check out the podcast at 3cr.org.au. Have a great night. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.